All right, so good evening, everyone, and welcome. This is TGN, where you get to play board games with us. Uh, this evening, we are going to be doing a special podcast of Kingdom Death called Great Game Hunters. And uh, we're going to be going in-depth into the White Lion and the different strategies uh, from head to toe, hunt to settlement, uh, everything that we can do with it. Uh, so first off, some introductions for us. As usual, I am Matt. Who am I joined with today? Hi, uh, Josh is also here, and we have a, a new new voice. Hello, I'm Fen. And yes, it is that Fen, the one who paints all the minis for us. He does some absolutely fantastic work. So if uh, someone could please put that in the chat, and you can check out some of the work he has on his DeviantArt page. So what's first up on the agenda this evening, guys? Well, we were going to open with just a, a little bit of talk about what it's like to experience the white line, because obviously... This is the first thing you encounter, really, when you play Kingdom Death. It's it, it's always going to be a, a lasting impression, I believe. That is true. It is uh, the introduction fight as well as the first available quarry. So it is the intro monster. And uh, really does start out pretty easy, but it ramps up fairly quick when you get to the uh, level 2s and level 3s. So you don't want to jump into those too early. Yeah, and the intro fight is... He's always fun because he's still hard enough to TPK some parties if they're uh, not very lucky. Yeah, I would like to note we've had a, one occasion where we started out a, uh, a settlement and we had some terrible, terrible luck in the introduction fight. And Josh, correct me if I'm wrong. Did we actually have to restart because we died immediately? I think we did. Not exactly our proudest of moments. It happens to everyone. My latest solo campaign is actually it had a false start where uh, I got stuck with being knocked down and mauled, which is just, yeah, it was just a nightmare. Uh, so, Fen, can you please remind everyone what those cards do? And, Josh, if you could put those in the view so we can get some visual representation for the people joining us here on Twitch. Yes. Uh, right. Well, maul, uh that's one of the more – I think that's the most dangerous of all of the cards that the Prologue Line has. Um, if I remember correctly. Yeah, there it is. And uh, it it's pretty much you've got to be grabbed, which normally happens off a reaction if you're not experienced fighting the white line. Or if you're knocked down, which again, once you get going, you can kind of avoid being knocked down. But in the prologue in particular, if you're on the ground and more comes up, it's just it's brutal. Yeah, starting out with a uh, two speed, three damage card in the uh, intro fight is something that could really ruin your day. That also puts bleed on top of it. So you're pretty much getting two bleeds in the intro fight with one attack. Now there, we have had some pretty uh, successful victory stories there. So Josh, why don't you share some of the, uh, the good intro fights that we've had, and then we could move on to the, uh, the normal white line fights and how they ramp up. So the intro white line, we've, we've, uh, we've been lucky there are a few of the locations where you, you kill it on, you know, a successful, Double crit, basically. Two Lantern Tens. Um, we've done that probably at least once in our intro fight. Yeah, that was definitely a fun one. I believe that we were doing a Fist and Tooth because we wanted to get the extra uh, luck to the attack. And I managed to roll a 10 for the second one. And we were a little bit too happy, but uh, we were we were very excited for that. Uh, but so how does how exactly do you guys feel about the, the ramp up between intro White Lion going right into level one White Lion and the differences that you see between them? pretty comfortable with it now but the first couple of times it happened it was quite a shock because to be honest the intro white line even apart from like 
the occasional wipe. Even the first time I faced it, I was like, oh, this isn't too bad. You know, you wound it about half the time. Sometimes it claws you and hits you back and everything. Yeah, this is okay. And then there's this sudden change when you're, you're adding in, when ground fighting first turns up in particular, that's a, that's a horrible one. Um, ground fighting being where the white lion flops itself down on its side and waits for somebody to walk up next to it. And if you go there, and I, I believe it's on an activation, um, it just, it, I think it, it brutalizes you. It's just, oh, my, I, I still, I never go anywhere without bone darts anymore ever since that happened the first time. Ugh. Yeah, we've almost had a party wipe on just ground fighting itself. Um, if you don't have range, you're just screwed. Yeah, Spears also is a good one uh, for that. But for the going from the intro fight to the uh, level one fight, Bone Darts is really a must. Yeah, the other thing I found about a big difference between these is because I've, I've fought these Prologue White Line quite a few times, and I've, it's kind of come down to being rote, where I, I literally, as far as I'm concerned, the strategy is first thing after it attacks in fact setup is one person six in front and the other people flank either side sort of you know like a, a the the horns so to speak the white lion runs in one person tosses their founding stone for the strange hand hit spend the survival and then literally i am i spend the whole fight left flank right flank and two people in the back spot and i fist and tooth the whole thing until i'm either worried people are going to really start dying or um, it dies. And you can do that because so I looked at it, it's like if you hit Fist and Tooth, it's not much worse than a Founding Stone. Um, well, 10% worse accuracy, one less strength. Um, but the uh, the crit chance going from 10 to 20%, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, 50% chance of failing to wound, 30% chance of wounding, 20% chance of critting. That's how I like to do it these days. So, Fen, you did mention the uh, the strange hand. So let's take a jump back there and go into a little bit of the lore with the uh, the white lion itself and why they're considered the uh, the strange hands. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Josh, I think you have the uh, the book open in front of you. You want to give a brief rundown of what's going on with the lion and his hands specifically? Yeah, let me open up the page. But yeah, the white lion has the uh, he always liked human hands, from what I recall. Uh, let me pull up the actual story. Give me one. There once was a beast that wanted to feel how soft its fur was. Since it could not reach its own back, it killed many other creatures and spent time rubbing its paws over them. They say that when the monster finally killed a human, it fell in love with their soft hands and its paws grew into a pair of fine human hands. So it's got like a hybrid lion-human hand mix, and that's one of the things that makes this monster unique. That and it's uh, you know, particularly angry with people. Uh, so hunting the actual white lion itself is a pretty interesting thing because it's one of the hunts where you can get an uh, innovation from it directly, that being the ammonia. And so that definitely is something that affects the way that we play the game definitely after our first playthrough. So uh, you guys want to take that one a little bit? Yeah, so um, I spent a bit of time going through the hunt deck and breaking it down to have a look what's going on. Um because uh, I mean, one of the things I find useful, I play People of the Stars a lot, and it's knowing where you're going to get courage and understanding from is quite important for that. So I, I broke it down, had a look, and the White Lion deck, the Hunt deck's actually pretty generous on the whole. Um, you've got, uh, was it 25%, two of the cards that gave, give you courage. Um, one of them gives you understanding. Uh, three of them trigger on the basic Hunt events. 
And then a few of them, was it three of them, about ooh, 37% of the time, the white line's going to move forward or backwards around a bit uh, and a little bit of chance of ambushing you with that movement. But on the whole, it's a good, a really good um, starting hunt to get to grips with. And if you can hit the um, the lion claw where you can um, the, get the claws or, of course, the little baby lion, um, lion cub, they, they're really great events. And I like hunting the white lion. I think it's it's not the hardest hunt out there. There's some way more tough and brutal ones. But it kind of teaches you that the hunt isn't just a place where bad things happen. It's like sometimes really good stuff happens. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. The uh, We had a couple of uh, hunt phases back-to-back where we had the lion cub as the first space. So we managed to get the lion cub, get the four resources from it, and then immediately trigger a showdown with the male lion twice in a row, I think. Or it might have been a male and a female. And uh, the first time was the male, so luckily we weren't banged up too bad. Uh, but it's definitely interesting when you don't have to risk yourself on too many hunt events and you can get four additional resources right off the bat. And it might have been a bad shuffle, but it happens. But the plus four extra resources is amazing, especially first, second year. You can make – so coming back with – what do we come back with? 13, 14 resources off one kill? Yeah, after the first two uh, Lantern years, I believe we were able to craft uh, two-thirds of a set of rawhide armor for two people plus weapons for three-fourths of the party. And we still had a few left over here and there. So it was pretty pretty nice to get that early on. Yeah, I've never been that successful with a, um, a White Lion. Um, I've been pretty successful with the Prologue one. Uh, I find these days I generally hunt two, three White Lions and then move on to other things. But uh, I was just sort of looking at the cards right now, and the lion sculpture in particular is the one card that often stands out to me. It sort of it's, it reads: a cruelly arranged effigy stands before the survivors, decorated with small metal trinkets, human fingers, and stuffed with t- dried tall grass. Their quarry sculpture confounds the survivors, and it's kind of like that, that's the kind of lore I love. They stick in this game where I mean, it's like are these these lions sentient? Are they uh, mimicking? human behavior you know it's you don't really know but you get these great hints a lot of the rest of them are just very animalistic but this one yeah well it definitely adds a bit of a uh a creepiness if you could say it that to the uh <clears throat> to the lore of the game uh but just because there's it doesn't define how everything's actually going uh there's a lot of mystery behind the the lion itself so it, it definitely adds to the feel of it, it on the whole yeah, so uh, Josh, uh, how about you? How do you feel about the hunt? Um, I like the hunt. Um, it it is simple enough, and there's no huge consequences for doing anything wrong, um, like some of the other hunts can do. Um, like you investigate something, it's not the end of the world. You kill the cub. The worst thing happens is it comes out in rage, which sucks, but it's not it's not a TBK thing uh, where other events from other monsters can. Drastically increase what happens. It's certainly no phoenix raising your survivors from existence. That or raiding the Dragon King's uh, corpses to crypt or whatever. Yeah, the crypt to uh, do like plus two, three damage and start with meltdown and play and stuff like that. 
yeah, those are a little bit on the rough end of the spectrum. I think that we've probably had more damage done to us from the random hunt events on the white lion hunts than the actual uh, white lion specific hunt events. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment of it. It's it's generally, I, I guess say I've got a lot of time for the white lion. I think it is an incredibly well designed first monster. It really just teaches you everything you need to know. And I know we sort of talked a little bit about it, but I think the Strange Hand being the top card of the Prologue um, deck, the hit location deck, is is superb because that card teaches you everything you need to know about hitting a monster. It teaches you that monsters can react; they can react by hurting you. That you can crit them, you can, and you can get permanent bonuses by critting them. It's it's great. Yeah, getting that early understanding boost uh, from that lost hand card, if you happen to get in a lucky situation in the prologue fight, would be absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but it definitely shows you that there's some things that you can tweak in your gameplay to get a lot more benefits out of it. Absolutely, yeah. So do you want to start talking about the actual monster's uh, AI deck and uh, how it reacts and stuff? Well, that was exactly what I was uh, going on to. If you don't mind, I'm going to start. Go for it, Ben. Go ahead. Okay. So I think the, with the White Lion, it, if in my mind, it has two ways that it kind of acts, sort of two modes. And the first is the basic attacks. It's a lot of a, a clawing and uh, smacking people around, and it's, it's variants on using its hands and its claws to attack people. And then the other side of that is knocking, knocking people down, knocking survivors down, and then really ripping them to pieces. And that sort of, in some ways, it's not as scary because... Obviously, you got encouraged to get yourself back on your feet. Well, get other people back on their feet. Um, you can't normally encourage yourself. But it, it, it sort of sits there in the back of you thinking like, okay, if I run out of survival and I hit the ground, is the maul or is the grasp or are these still in the deck? Because that's really bad for me. Uh, on top of that, um, I, I sort of I like how it's kind of pretty simplistic in many ways. It's uh, the basic AI. It's got two claws, two grasps, two size ups, a bat around and a power swat. So claw is basically its base attack. Um, grasp is slower. Um, but it's a single speed attack, but it's going to drag you away. Um, which can be pretty bad, especially uh, with the level two and three white line. Size up is just a um, an intimidate action, and and then you got bat around a power swap, which is sort of the two one ofs, and they're a little bit different. I mean, bat around can feel um, it feels a little weak compared to the others with its accuracy being a five plus. Um, the power swat, I, I, I do love seeing it when power swat hits, you know, that, that big knockback. It's not really dangerous against the white lion, but it is fun to just have people plowed backwards and realize that, hang on a minute, these monsters, they're going to be moving us around. Yeah, that's something that I noticed that really messes up your strategy because, you know, we could be playing and have something planned out in our heads of different attack positions that we're all going to go in to maximize hits and all of that. And then one AI card comes up and knocks someone back out of the way or grabs someone and runs away and it just throws all of your plans out the window. And it definitely makes the hunts a little bit more unpredictable. And uh, that's something that you definitely have to watch out for. Indeed. So 
that's kind of it sets the base behavior, which in my mind is the white lion attacks things in front of it or around it. It generally ignores whatever's right behind it. And if you're on the ground, it really could get very vicious. But then we've got the advanced AI cards and they are very varied in what they do. Um, we've got four moods and then six other cards. And I mean, it's. You only ever get to see three of them per fight against the um, against the level one white lion, and you won't see all of them against the twos and threes. Uh, obviously, we've mentioned ground uh, ground fighting already, and we talked a bit about enraged, which I've had in play a few times as well. Because I mean, who can resist killing that little little cub? It's just too cute to live. Yeah, that's for sure. We definitely take advantage of uh, slaughtering that baby defenseless white lion uh, because the resources are just too, too nice. Yeah. Um, I think of the Maul in there, obviously I mentioned Maul. I think Maul is the single most terrifying card in the deck. Bloody Claw is pretty scary as well. And that's one of the three Lost Hand um, cards, the other one being Vicious Claw and Combo Claw. And we will talk about that after we finish getting through looking at these cards, but uh, just bear in mind that a lost hand on a white line is a huge opportunity. Oh, yeah, that lost hand is is the biggest thing you can do to a line and make him useless almost. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's huge when you do it to a level two as well or level three. Um, but obviously with a level one, you know, it's it's party time. Um I, I mean, Smart Cat is one that I always sort of forget about, and I just mentioned here because literally I forgot about it until I looked at it. And uh, it's weird because it's not very effective um, with the level one, but once you get more of the advanced cards into the deck, it can be quite scary. On the other hand, it's sort of the white line essentially injures itself when it throws these moods into play. But, uh, you know... Um, if you got enraged down along with bloodthirsty, it can be really brutal. So yeah, Fen, you bringing up that uh, the mood cards essentially does a damage to the lion. That's definitely a very important part of the strategy with fighting it, because uh, it can severely weaken itself with that. And on top of that, uh, if it starts cycling through a couple AI cards at a time with that, you can. If his deck is low, you can definitely jump in with the flow if you have a surge action and uh, really mess up the white lion's day. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, that's a, uh, it's, it's a big opportunity with mood cards, and I, I like the design of them where the monster essentially reduces its wound total by one but gets a bonus. And you're sort of thinking, well, do I want to remove this mood card or should I leave it there for a while? Oh, look, it's ground fighting. Let's get a run off and, and dig up this, this ore and pick this acanthus before we move on. Yeah, that's one of the good things about uh, ground fighting is you can kind of do stuff around the board, which is really nice. Uh, the one thing about Smart Cat is every time that tends to come up for our fights, doesn't matter if one level two, it comes up and there's no more moods in the deck and you get to see the whole deck and then you get to reshuffle the deck because it just was a, oh, I get to see all the cards. That's the one bad side of it <laughs> uh, because the, the, it's not very often that I actually get two moods that are still in the deck because it's typically halfway through the deck and we've already done quite a bit of damage to line. Yeah, yeah, I've noticed that as well. I've no, it's generally the level three where it actually has a bit of an impact. 
Yeah, in a level three white lion, we haven't really fought a whole lot. When we get to our farming, we really try to stick with level ones early on and then jump up to the level twos just because there's a level three can get pretty rough if you're not geared up correctly. Uh, so what gear should we be looking at when we depart on the lion hunts uh, going from early in the game to progressively later in the game? Well, if you're just we're looking at the core game here um, and obviously the white lion itself provides great tools for dealing with the white lion. Um, you get the um, you get the king spear, which I freaking love. Absolutely love the spear. Um, you also get the the katars, the circlets, which I think I might say is the best item in the game. Maybe I don't know how you guys feel about the circlet. It's one of my favorite items. Yeah, it's definitely worth it to be able to uh, look at the hit location decks and be able to make sure you're not going to be doing anything stupid when you do your attack, especially right before a character with a high speed attack. So if you have someone uh, dual wielding the guitars, it's definitely something we should look into doing beforehand on their attack. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned dual wielding because I've kind of moved away from dual wielding. I typically, I'll aim to build two guitars, a spear, a bow as my weapons to start with off the white line, but I, I split the guitars between two guys I'm not a huge fan of rolling four speed in attack. Yeah, that's something that we definitely noticed is that in our first couple playthroughs, we uh, absolutely loved the paired ability on the guitars because we were just, oh, you can roll four attacks. Look at all the potential damage you could do. But the more and more you play, the more you realize you're cycling through that hit location deck that much faster and uh, possibly pulling up the trap card a lot quicker. And also, since you have four possible attacks and the cat eye circle, it is for uh, the top three cards. It can really... Uh, screw that up just because you can't see every possibility that you're going to be hitting at. Yeah, exactly. But uh, we'll we'll touch more on the gear a little bit later once we finish discussing the line itself. But you know, you're quite right. There's definitely things you want to think about that you do need. And as we mentioned earlier, bone darts, I think, is your first buy before you go in against the, the level one white line and lantern year one. Without that, you're really asking for trouble. Absolutely. So, Josh, uh, what are the ramp-ups that we get from the level 1 White Lion to the level 2 White Lion? And uh, we can talk about how that affects our strategy and gameplay. So, the main ramp-up is his cunning card comes into play, which uh, gets really nasty. So, what exactly does that do, Josh? So, the cunning card is after the White Lion attacks, any he will grab one of the adjacent survivors next to him, uh, randomly, and they will suffer grab. Which he's going to knock them down in front of them. And then he also runs away from them, I believe. Yeah, he runs away from everyone else. So he takes one member, isolates them, knocks them down, then runs across the board with them. So they're now knocked down in front of them. They're going to lose their next turn, and everyone else is going to be that much further away from the line to actually do any damage. Yeah, it is um, it is quite a shock when you first go from a one level 1 to a level 2 white lion. Um, to suddenly discover that, hang on a minute, this thing's doing... It gets to do two things now. That's not fair. On top of that, throwing on the extra uh, speed and damage, uh, it could be a lot worse than you anticipated on the first go-round. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's um, It goes up from 11 wounds to 16 wounds, and, yeah, it gets an additional... Uh, what is it? Is it additional speed and damage? I can't remember. Plus one speed, plus one damage, an extra movement, and its toughness goes from eight to ten. Oh yes, yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's um, it is a hell of a jump, and 
it can feel like a bit of a struggle. I know that many people say that is it the level two white lines about a level one phoenix. I think that's fair. Um, but sometimes I'd rather go against the level one phoenix than the level two white line. Well, I won't go. I won't fight a level two white line if I don't have dash. That's my requirement to fight it. That's if you can't dash from that cunning, then you're screwed. Yeah, dash is a very invaluable uh, survival action, uh, just because it allows you to let the lion target you and then run away valiantly, but run away uh, to live and fight another day. Yeah, I think I'm in agreement. I I don't really want to fight a level two white lion or a level three without having the ability to dash. Um, I also really prefer to have weapons with reach when I go in on them as well. The only issue with reach is he still does his basic attack first, so he's still going to run up to someone and they're going to be right next to him. So, it, it, even with reach, it doesn't necessarily help. Absolutely, yeah. It's um, but with good positioning, usually you can make sure that it's one person that gets grabbed, and it's you can pretty much pick who's going to get grabbed because the white line's so predictable with who it's going to target. Um, but yeah, I, I do do get it. It's like, ugh. It, it, it sucks. I, I recall um, actually now the current Sunday people of the Stars campaign were playing the very first prologue fight. We had an incident where the white lion reacted by grabbing and pulling um, Steve's survivor six and then did the isolate grab thing as well and left him sat like I think he was half the board away from the rest of us. We were without any kind of dash, no way to get over there, no range, and sure enough, he just died. Yeah, so we're talking about ramp up here, and, and yeah, that, that gets bad, but then when you start getting to level 3, it even gets gets worse. Let me grab the card again. So, he gets plus 2 speed, plus 2 damage. He goes up to a toughness of 14 with a movement of 8. Um, and he also gets a plus 2 accuracy and plus 1 luck, so he he hits hard, and he's harder to crit. But the, the big thing is the new trait card he gets, which is uh, Merciless, and it, you take out all the the good crit locations. And you double the damage of uh, everything done by grab. Yes, it's indeed. Uh, sorry, uh, Vosh just asked in um, in chat, I hope I pronounced that correctly, uh, the best way to deal with Lick Wounds, Founding Stone, or some other range? Uh, lick Wounds, it depends where in the fight you are and where everyone's located. Lick Wounds is... If he has a lot of damage, you want to get that out fast, but it's always going to be on top of the deck. So that's the one good thing. It's just the next damage takes it out. Yeah, I think you don't necessarily need range unless he's put himself quite a distance away. Um, and instead, yeah, you just plow him with some hard-hitting weapon, make sure he's not going to react in a nasty way, and deal with it. And that's where you could also start using the ride headband to manipulate AI cards also and just bury that so you get an extra turn if you need it and, and get him closer back to you. Of course. Yes. Uh, anyway, so back to the level 3 white line. You've put up the Merciless card there. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. I just I was just checking my copy of it to have a look. The Merciless is... It makes the lion harder to... I think it removes the... Is it, isn't it the um, auto-death locations? Um, I think those are the hacking the hands off and the, the, uh, anything that makes it so you can't grab anymore. I gotta take a look at the deck to look, but I believe that's what those are. Uh, yeah, yes, I found the pool, yeah. Yeah, it looks like, uh, they're all, uh, AI location, or hit locations where you would be able to chop the monster's hand off to eliminate grab, and then, 
uh, double all damage inflicted by grab, that just gets absolutely ridiculous, especially when you have uh, a line with that much movement. So you need to almost dash to catch up to him if you don't have any ranged weapons. And uh, I mean, even with the bow where you have uh, cumbersome on it, it gets problematic. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's right. Yeah, so the you remove the hand, and that stops the um, and the, it's sitting there and and crying about its lost hand. The paw, as you said, is the um, it, it's, that's how you cancel grab, which is the best thing to do against the level two white lion, but you can't do against the three. And the straining neck is the um, crit on a ten. You kill it at the end of the following turn. Yeah. That's so correct. yeah. Yeah, it just becomes really a whole different beast. And of course, you've taken three cards out of the AI, out of the hit location deck, so it's going to trigger its trap more often. Yeah, but there's still the beast chest is still in there. That's the other card that lets you kill it on a, a second D10 roll. Um, if you roll a 10, but, um, so one of those are still in the deck, but just the other one is, is removed. But yeah, just uh, thinning out that hit location deck and making it so the trap card is closer and closer to the top is really problematic, especially with the extra damage tokens that he gains. Uh, and then also I'd like to note that the Lions uh, plus luck really messes with a lot of strategies. We didn't take that into account the first time we fought a level three, and it really changes things up for the fight. You fought more. Sorry, go ahead, Josh. Especially when you don't have high strength uh, gear and stuff, and you're you're consider and using crits to do your damage and that's what you do with the line a lot because every hit location has a crit besides the trap so you guys have fought the um, level 3 white line more than I have um, generally because I, I love expansion monsters too much um, I, one of the things I, I, I may have misunderstood this and played it wrong I'm not entirely sure because Merciless says you treat all survivors as threats despite any effects that say otherwise so I was wondering why on earth the level three white line gets plus one accuracy when it sniffs, because I can't figure out when it would be sniffing. That's a very good point. I never thought about that, actually. I guess maybe if you hide behind terrain, would that work? If everyone hid? There might be some stuff that doesn't say threat. It might just be depending on what the uh, card says, because I'm looking at the basic action. It's closest survivor and field of view. It says nothing about threat. So if you have two people in the blind spot, he would sniff. Uh, there we go. See, I told you I hadn't fought the level three enough. Yeah, we've only I I don't know if we've fought the level three much. We fought it maybe once or twice. We actually did a lot of uh, uh, Beast of Sorrow but just because that's so broken and easier than level three. But you get the same uh, resources and everything else. Well, an important thing to note there is it was more broken. Uh, so this is a good segue into that. The Beast of Sorrow is being nerfed a little bit, not in his strength, but in his rewards. Uh, so we could talk about that a little bit because that was definitely something that we did. Uh, we noticed that the Beast of Sorrow was actually a little bit easier than a level three white lion, at least in our opinion. And uh, it gave you very, very good resources. So we would farm that compared to the actual level three lion. Yes, uh, just before we do go on to that, um, Mew1997 asks, Knockdown isn't a threat. That's correct, except Merciless makes them a threat, because it makes you constantly threats. Uh, so, you know. Um, anyway, I, I haven't, I've never faced the Beast of Sorrow. I've never ever drawn the, the, is it the Elder Council card? So, you guys, tell me what it's like. It's like, it's like a level two. 
but it has a weak spot from the Kingsman in play, so it's minus four toughness in the the blind spot. And it also has trample from the Screaming Antelope, so when he does run over someone, he does damage. And his toughness is up to 13. But with the the weak spot, it makes him not that difficult. Um, yeah, so that basically like, becomes a butt-punching thing, butt-punching fest, where everyone wants to run up to the blind spots and just smack it as much as possible. Okay, so do you think the changes are going to um, make it less desirable for you, or would you still prefer to hit it over some of the other monsters? So from what the changes are, you're only going to be able to hunt it once now, so you can't farm it, which is good. Uh, and then it's you're going to get level 2 resources, which makes more sense. Uh, the extra thing you get is you get, you get an extra iron, and then whoever deals the kill and blow gets a fighting art of their choice, and I think that that itself is worth the fight. Oh, yes, definitely. As we all saw via your uh, combination of fighting hearts in our stream last night. So you want to go over that quickly, and uh, we could actually talk about how that got nerfed also. Uh, well, that was more of this orders, but I, I stacked Immortal and uh, Stark Ravens together, which is just a broken combination for the most part. Uh, unless you're going to Overwhelm in Darkness and you can't spend survival to save yourself and roll one four times and be a horrible, horrible person like Zenith was. But uh, yeah, apparently that's fixed in 1.5. One thing I'm not exactly sure how I feel on is the fact that it uh, it got nerfed in two ways, essentially, the uh, Beast of Sorrow. Uh, I understand dropping it down to the level two rewards, but dropping it down to level two rewards and making a one-time huntable monster, I don't know if that makes it even worth it to hunt it the first time. I mean, the fighting art is nice, but it's only going to be one survivor. And we all know how squishy these survivors can be if uh, you're not careful. But now you also have the change with Sculpture, where you can take one fighting art and teach it to everyone else. So now you have the chance to go get the single fighting art you want most, do that, come back with sculpture, create a sculpture of that fighting art, and then teach it to everyone else in your settlement. So makes a little sense to me to do it that way, just because otherwise you you just farm it, and it's it's not much, diff- much more difficult than a, a level 2 line to do, and you get all these extra benefits from it. It's also a legendary monster, so you'd only think there'd be one of them out there, not an endless amount of them. That was exactly what I was going to say. I feel as a legendary monster, you really should be going after it once. I agree with that. I just thought that maybe keeping the level 3 rewards would be a nice perk for it, just because it is a one-time huntable monster. So it's a a a once-in-a-lifetime jackpot, and if you fail on it, then you kind of screwed yourself over. I guess that's a risk you take, though, isn't it? I mean, every lantern year you have a failure on a hunt. It is quite a setback. I mean, the game is very much a a case of snowballing. If you can get a good early start, then you can keep going by killing monsters, gaining more resources, and the wipes are just a a real problem. So, yeah, I see your point, but I'm fine with it. I mean, I'd actually like to just be able to fight the Beast of Sorrow once, you know, but (laughs) maybe I'll have a different opinion after I beat it, and I'm like, Oh, I want to do this again. Yeah, the one thing is his if he wins, it's not nice. You can't endeavor that next year. So you have nothing to do the next year, especially if you have graves and you have eight endeavors and you lost your party. Can't do anything. Yeah, but graves kind of needs a little bit of a downside anyway. Yeah, that could be pretty brutal, though, uh, returning from a hunt with no resources and no endeavors. So you just come back twiddling your thumbs. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, 
shall we move on to a quick look at the, the hit locations and the resources? Yeah, let's go to hit locations and resources. All right, so again, I did my thing and like pulled through and, and looked at the numbers to try and see what generally happens with the white line. Um, so I haven't done a calculation to the level three, but basically the white line is ridiculously crittable, as in 96% of the time you'll hit a location you can crit, and the rest of the time you hit the trap. Um, it's also you get resources 30% of the time, um, off the crits, that is. Uh, apart from that, a lot of what the white line tends to do is either reacts by attacking or reacts by grabbing someone. So what I found, and I mentioned it in the prologue, is I tend to fight now on the flanks and at the back against level one, against level two, a little bit more distance away, generally. Um, which is why I found that out of all of the monsters, the white line is the one I've had the easiest time handling the AI for. It seems it's by design very very predictable in its reactions as well as its ai yeah i definitely have to agree with that this is it's probably the most predictable monster for both its attacks and it's uh when you're attacking it uh which does make it easier and i could definitely see why it is the the introduction and first monster in the game so uh, it is a ramp up from there but uh, it definitely makes it much more farmable than some others yeah it is very very farmable um not as farmable as the antelope, which we'll talk about next time. But uh, yeah, um, I've uh, I've definitely taken up to farming the um, the white line as much as I can in the first uh, prologue and second and uh, first and second years. Yeah, and um, I just took a quick glance, and everything's mostly reflexes or failure. Uh, mostly everything's a failure. So as long as you're doing good damage and you're not rolling horribly. You, you you don't most of his reflexes don't matter too much, and there's a couple of reflexes and a couple of wounds, but most of the time it, it's you're, you're damaging. He's not going to hit you back. Yeah, yeah, you're right. There's one re, one flat reflex. There are three with wound reflexes and eleven with failures. So once you're hitting the white line and you're at a point where you're successfully wounding it, you kind of tame it really. And also to note is uh, for the hit locations, we do have those two instant death cards, which uh, definitely adds a lot to that as well. Yeah, I think that's kind of really all we have to say, except the trap card basically is a, a basic action happening. Um, I'm pretty happy with it being that simplistic. Uh, it's, oh yeah, there we are. It's little failure cards. Yeah, um, that that's the reason that I do not stand in front of the white line when attacking it. Those failure cards where it runs forward. But to be honest, looking at it now, it's only 21% of the time, 22% of the time that it actually runs forward. And that's only off a reflex. Uh, or a failure, typically. There's one reflex that does it. Yes, yeah, the beast's tail. But yeah, his his normal... His trap card isn't that bad. It's just the normal attack that you're doomed, so you can't... You can't really do anything in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's kind of a nice teaching tool, really. It, it, it The first time it turns up, uh, I, I don't know if you guys remember the first time you encountered a trap card, but it was it was a great moment for, um, for me and my friends the very first time it happened. Yeah, and the more you play it, the more you uh, realize that, you know, it's not necessarily something good to cycle through the hit locations, as we were talking about really fast before. So you want to slow down and start bringing up the cat eye circlet so you could start uh, sorting through what you're hitting. And then a definite strategy that we have is 
setting someone up to trigger the trap while they're standing in tall grass or something else that's going to allow them a higher chance of not getting beat up by it. Exactly. And um, so I think before we move on, I mean, the, the one last thing is how do you feel about hitting the groin? So the groin is the, you get the lion's testes, which, I mean, it's very exciting when it happens the first time, just because if you're not familiar with the game, the first time you play it and you chop the lion's balls off, it's uh, it's definitely a celebratory moment. And then you start reading the rest of the text and the plus one damage, and you're always the priority token until I think you get dismembered, I believe. Uh, It's pretty awful, but uh, it depends on how much you cherish that frenzy potion. And it's still your dead. Your, your priority token. Uh, thank you there, Josh. I thought it was uh, dismembered or dead. No, that's the enraged thing. So enraged is till someone's uh, dismembered or dead. Uh, when you take off its balls, it, it, it's till you're dead. Um, and early, early game, this is horrible, the plus one damage. Later on, it's not the worst thing. And if you can manage to actually hit it with your tank and crit it, you're kind of just set up to be like, all right, he's just going to keep attacking me. You guys can just wail at it and do whatever you want. Yeah, it gets handy if you have a dedicated tank for sure, and they manage to crit that location, although it is a long shot sometimes because we don't often put our luck uh, weapons on our tank, but you know how it goes. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking exactly that. It's not often the tank is wielding um, a weapon with a decent crit chance. Usually with me, the best it ha- my tanks have is maybe a 9 or a 10. Yeah, but like at least if you like use Cat Eye Circle, you see it coming up, you're like, all right, let me have the tank hit this. Either they do a wound or they get it. And not necessarily that it would happen, but if it does, it's nice. Yeah, it's definitely better to, to do it with a tank um, and either just get out of the way or if you do get the priority token, as you said, it's nice. But you definitely don't want it happening on one of your um, damage-dealing characters. Especially if they have no armor or anything and they're just pure glass cannon out there. Who'd take people like that out? People who can't afford enough armor. <laughs> That's usually who I wind up playing as the bow guy with the uh, the no armor except the waste armor from the intro fight. That's great. Um, should we do resources then? And then we'll get on to the exciting bit, which is gear. Yeah, let's go to resources. Okay, so again, I broke down the deck and... Um, pulled out all the bits and pieces and uh i was kind of a little bit surprised to um discover the way that the the, it actually turns out that the white line has equal chances of bone or hide at 39 percent and then organs are down at 28 percent it does reflect my experiences fighting it because i'm often desperately looking for organs and not getting enough um my favorite gear from the white line almost all use organs uh, and, and also, I didn't realize until I broke the deck apart that there's four great cat bones in there, which was, I, I thought there'd be more white fur and lion claws, but no, it's, it's mostly bones. So it looks like an encouragement to start building the weapons versus the armor sets there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's also, the, as I said, the, thing, the items I think are most desirable are the Eye of Cat and the golden whiskers, and you only get one of those each, and the sinew, of which you get two. Plus you got the shimmery mane, which is, is too high, it's fantastic, but it's, it's a one-of again. Although you can get it by critting the main um, hit location. Glorious mane, is it? Yeah, the glorious mane, so you get the uh, the bonus head armor from that. 
Oh, yeah, Mew. Um, the you're you're right that it doesn't quite add up correctly. It's uh to do with roundings and things. So as we like to lovingly re- to refer to them as uh, the mystery meets. But yeah, going back, the uh, the cat eye is definitely uh, a must have, uh, just because we really like to make sure we're not running blind into attacking the monster. Um, the one thing you said you like the uh, the whiskers. I've actually never made the harp in the game. Really, uh, Mew? I've I've got to have a look. There may be a problem with my calculations. Um, you know, it, it should it should you're right. It should total one hundred percent. Uh, I can't find exactly what's gone wrong at this point in the spreadsheet, so you know, don't worry about it. But the ratio is about about right in that it's a four to four to three ratio. Uh, so, Josh, you want to remind everyone what the uh, the harp actually does because I'm not too familiar with it either. Because uh, again, I haven't built that as well. Fenn would know it better, but uh, I believe it lets you remove a mood in play, and I believe you roll a. D10, and it's an 8 plus, you remove a mood, and if you're fighting the white lion, it's a 6 or a 4. It's a little bit easier. Uh, yeah, yeah. The um, I'm surprised you guys haven't built the harp. I The harp is one of the white lion items I rate that you take pretty much all the way through to the end game. Okay. Yes, yes. Tyson, uh, that's it. Yes, I've double counted the high drop off the, um, off the shimmering mane. Yeah, so the the harp is a debuff, and I just pulled it out. It's a seven plus gets rid of a mood, three plus if you're fighting the white lion, um, which is strong. But I've never had a huge issue of moods when we've played typically, and I don't know about the expansion monsters because I haven't played them as much. But with the base game, uh, I n- never really had an issue where I was like, I wish that mood was gone. All right. Uh, yeah. So I was going to talk about this a bit um, when we got done to the gear, but what the heck? It's a good time now. The the whisker harp. I will build one. It's it's in like my top priority is to get the cat's eye circlet, but the one below that is the whisker harp, and I don't take it out with me on hunts um, because of the harvester event, uh, which will automatically kill someone carrying noisy gear, but. I find this to be incredibly useful against Nemesis fights. Uh, in addition, it's got a left face in blue, which means you combine it with a Luck Charm and Rawhide set, and it activates the Luck Charm, and you can just whack a set of Katars on there and crit on seven pluses. But yeah, the, the Harp, I, I thoroughly recommend eat, having one of, even if you're not going to use it all the time. As for expansion monsters, this thing is essential for fighting the tyrant, or at least the way I've worked out how you fight the tyrant. Um, and when we eventually get down the line to talking about people of the stars, I'll bring up the harp again and praise it some more. But I do think if you haven't tried the harp, if you haven't, it's, it's really, really, really strong. Um, generally, I actually make two these days. So you haven't really run into many problems with it being the, uh, the seven plus role. Um, it's not ideal, and actually, on Sunday, somebody did die because we failed to manage it on four attempts with surges uh, to remove um, a particularly nasty mood that resulted in uh, my poor friend Damo taking, oh, geez, he took five strength, eight hits or something. Um, but also, in the same fight, then we managed to remove one particular mood that, oh, Jesus, it, if it had triggered, it was game over. And I did not know the Tyrant had that card in its deck until we faced the level three. 
Yeah, so from the sound of that, that's something we're definitely going to have to uh, look into adding to our current campaign. It sounds like it could be pretty beneficial. Uh, I think it's more along the lines of we didn't use it initially when we were playing, and we're not that familiar with it. So we haven't uh, delved into it as much because uh, the fear of trying something new. <laughs> well, this game, we actually started bringing out the uh, the spear. We didn't have the spear before last time. We only used the guitars, really. Uh, the guitars and the bow. Um so we've been expanding into more more gears and seeing more things and how everything works um, as we see more of the game now. It's a good time for us to just we can move on from resources. We've established um, that the cat's eye, <laughs> the uh, the what is it, the eye of cat is about the best organ to drop out of there early on, uh, and we may as well just push on and, and talk about the gear and this is where the fun starts. All right, let's talk about gear. Okay, so we'll start with the armor set, and I'd like to hear what you guys think of it. It's a little wonky to get used to at first, just because of the uh, the pounce mechanic, and we haven't used it in our more recent campaigns. I know we've been sticking more with the rawhide set, just because of the uh, uh, the headband and the ability to regain your survival is very, very powerful. But I believe our first playthrough, we had a guy double-wielding guitars with the White Lion armor set, and he was doing some damage, and we can get him lined up properly. My issue with the the armor set is the amount of resources you get, and the rawhide set is just overall so much better that I can make pretty much two rawhide sets or one White Lion set. And it, it's better to have two sets of rawhide than just that from the bonuses you get. Yeah, you're sounding like you're um, you're trending a little bit towards where I am in that it's it's not a massively inspiring set. I've just like laid out the five cards here now, and I've noticed the same old problem I have every time I get round to this is I don't like how the affinities on it fit together. You've got um, the, you need this puzzle piece fitting on the white line helm, red down, and a blue somewhere on the grid in order to get the um, the raw for the extra strength, which it's not an amazing ability, but it'd be nice to have it. Uh, and then you've got to have a, a down facing and a right facing red um, in order to, for the boots to get them for the plus one movement. That's can be tough to do. The coat has this blue up facing uh, half affinity. That's just, I don't know where you what you really connect it to. Um, and overall, I think, it's just what is it like two on each location and three when you do a complete set i'm just not a huge huge fan of it and i found myself as you you said i'd rather build rawhide every time i do find the lion skin cloak kind of cool though that that, that was always a fun thing to put on my tank at first um, i don't use it as much but uh that was always a i thought was a, a nice item from the lion yes yeah i've um i haven't explored using that too much um but I do like it. I, I, I like the design of stuff that reduces hits down. I like the right-facing right, right facing half green affinity as well, which can be hard to get. How do you um, feel about the headdress? I was just literally just looking at it. I kind of, to be honest, it's not good enough for taking up a, a gear slot, and especially as that basically costs too high to build. It feels like maybe if you had some affinities on it or or something, but it is an accessory, so I don't know. I just end up passing on it. Yeah, I think the fact that it's just a, a one extra to the head is 
kind of meh overall. If it was a two armor, I'd say it's it would definitely be something we'd look into more just because the head is such a squishy location. I know in our earlier playthroughs, we would be stacking the lion headdress on top of the uh, the skull armor. And, you know, in the beginning of the game, four armor to your head is pretty phenomenal. Yeah, that's the only thing we've ever used it for is with the skull helm, just because if you get a severe head injury, you lose that helm. So it gives you an extra point to try to negate that. But otherwise, I, I don't I don't care for uh, the lion headdress just because the main is, is to hide resources. We got an interesting question from chat. So Vasht asked, uh, what would you make this? How would you make the set better? What, what would you recommend for fixing it? That's a tough one. Um, I mean, I like that pounce ability. It makes it very interesting mechanic. Uh, just the fact that you have to move three spaces really kind of makes it a pain in the ass unless you're willing to uh, spend survival to dash and kind of set yourself up for back-to-back attacks or you just use it in a, uh, oh, this happens to be available for me scenario. So maybe something where... Uh, you get a, a movement after that or something like that would be interesting. I think it might be overpowered, though, for sure. Yes. Um, I think I agree. I, I feel that the, the affinities on it are a bit of a mess. Um, I will note that when you play with the Lion God, if you beat the level 2 Lion God, you get two items that fix a lot of the issues with the set. Um, and we'll talk about those uh, when we finally get around to the Lion God. Um, but yeah, it it is a bit of a mess. It doesn't really connect well with anything at all. And I don't know. I think maybe even if it was like this with the affinities, if it if it had four armor when you got a complete set, I'd be happy with it. I think if the bonus worked for all white lion weapons would be kind of cool. So if it, the, the bonus worked with the spear and, and other and other things, um, that would make it a little bit better. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it does say all melee weapons, no? The uh, armor set, I don't have the card in front of me, but it, it gives a bonus to daggers and guitars only. That's right. There's an additional bonus to that as well. Uh, so for the other base gear, I know Josh was mentioning before, the uh, the spear is kind of something we're new to using in our campaigns. And once we got the weapon specialization on the spear, it really... Uh, kind of opened our eyes to it being a pretty powerful weapon. So, Josh, you want to vamp that up a little bit? Yeah, I don't have the spear in front of me, but it's, uh, for a call, it's a 263. Uh, but the big thing it has is reach. And uh, spear specialization is also good because it, that's what lets you ignore traps, kind of. And off the top of your head, do you happen to remember the uh, spear mastery? I think Fen knows that, Fen, spear mastery? Uh, mastery of specialization. Mastery. Oh, that's a good one. Give me one moment, because um, I generally only bother with the special uh, with the specialization. Um, before I do, um, it's worth noting uh, Mew nineteen ninety seven as pointed out. There was a thing wrong with my resource count. I'd forgotten to include one more white fur, and the um, it's a nineteen card resource deck, uh, so it should be organs are twenty six percent. Ish and bone and hides are thirty-seven apiece. So thanks for that correction, there. And here we go. 
Right, so the Spear Mastery uh, is whenever a Spear Master hits a monster with a spear, they may spend one survival to gain the priority target token. If they made the hit from directly behind another survivor, that survivor gains the priority token instead. And then, of course, the giving spear specialization to everyone else. And spear specialization is amazing. But this is a way of basically provoking and attacking from behind a tank. Or even attacking uh, with a tank. Those are very good strategies to draw the priority over to the person you want to be taking all the damage for you. Especially if you have your spear guy set up as more of the uh, glass cannon role. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I I do actually tend to have a lighter armored spear guy than um, the normal. It's not usually my tank. My tank normally is sword and board. Yeah, so we were talking about the armor set, what we can do to work with that. Uh, the one thing I would do think, though, Pounce works nicely with the cat bow to get rid of Cumbersome. Um, and you kind of set that up a little bit, but the armor set doesn't work with the bow. If it worked with the bow, that would be nice. Yeah, and segueing into that, I think the bow is an absolutely critical weapon to have in this game, uh, especially if you're doing just core game. Because there's not a whole lot of ranged weapons. Uh, but range of six, Cumbersome can be annoying, but uh, once you pair it with the claw head arrow uh, it definitely opens up a lot of doors for you if you have characters that are attacking with uh, questionable accuracy weapons yes um yeah absolutely i was gonna say i agree with you i think the king spear is fantastic the catcut bow is fantastic and the lion beast guitar is fantastic as well um the claw head arrow i consider was it like one lion claw to make and it's so good you can carry that all the way through to the end of, of the campaign and it's still useful but Let's talk about the cat fang knife because you get this. You can only make this by beating the level three um, white lion. That's where you get the resource from. How on earth? I I just I don't like this at all. I don't. I mean, there are good daggers in the game, and they're few and far between. Um, but this is not one of them. And considering the amount of effort you put in, it just feels like four red affinity connectors basically you know in each of the cardinal directions um the perfect hitability it can be useful it's definitely um it combines with red fist i think but um i mean how, how do you guys feel about it i believe we only made this once um when in our initial campaign because we just wanted to try something besides the guitars again i think we were kind of jaded by the additional speed that you get from it and again, I don't, yeah, it's a little weird, all the, the red affinities all over the place. And it's, it's a little hard to hit with it or wound with it initially, especially by the time you get it, you're fighting some pretty strong monsters. So one of the silly things we did with it, and, and it makes the ability completely nonsense is you put this on a red savior. So you get a bunch of auto hits, um, but it, it's not worth it. It's the only thing it has really on it. Um, and yeah, it kind of links up with red fist fighting art, but it's not that great. Um, overall, uh, we did play with a set once with a full armor set just to see how the, the, uh, armor set bonus and everything reacts with it, but I, I wasn't impressed with it. Yeah, I really hope it does get some kind of a revamp. Um, there was one thing that I remembered, uh, from my current playthrough, uh, of People of the Sun with, uh, a couple of friends of mine. Um, one of them actually pointed out that, uh, there are, I think only a couple of items um, that give you affinities in all um, all directions at once. And 
with prismatic, which is is what you get on the Warriors of the Sun, who are like the special characters for the um for people of the sun, uh, having four um, multicolored affinities in all directions is really good. So that is something we're actually going to try and do there is get it in order to uh, just use it as a base for the middle of the grid. Um, uh, because there's only one first aid kit, which is the other one that's fairly easy to do. So, I mean, it's still not <laughs> still not great, but I'm going to try and do something with it. Yeah, it definitely seems like an interesting strategy to take it and basically wash out all those affinities to make them uh, do what you want, because that could be pretty fa- powerful if you have, you know, choose your own affinities all over the place. Prismatic's a hell of a drug. I just want to jump back and note that uh, Josh was saying we tried it out with a red savior and it was interesting. Uh, the biggest problem with that is its ability is only when you do a perfect hit. So if you're auto hitting everything, though it's not a perfect hit. So it basically cancels out the, uh, the bonus or the affinities on this knife. Yeah. Yes, indeed. So do we have, uh, that's the weapons, isn't it? And I mean, I think we can say that there's three really good weapons here plus the arrow, which. I guess counts as a weapon. So that's a good going for a, um, a monster that you fight right at the start of the game to have three items like that. But yes, indeed. Uh, let's look at the, the ones you get from organs. Cause um, I think these three are, are well, at least two of them are amazing. We already looked at the whisper heart and whisker heart, and I, I can't sing its praises enough, um, but we have the, the frenzy drink, which Josh has just put out there. Um, how have your experiences been with this over time? Well, definitely in our first playthroughs, we uh, we use the hell out of it. That's to say the least. Uh, the extra speed and strength really looks good on paper, but you have a lot of issues with the drawbacks of the. Um, oh God, I'm free. I'm locking up here. You have the drawbacks with the not ability, non ability to spend survival, and that's what really hurts you. One of the things we did do though in our first game, which we did into the mist two times and we just got I can't remember what's the max for uh, courage um, that story event I don't remember the name of it off the of my head now um, but we got that with white secret I think that that's understanding not courage see, yes, the, see the truth see the truth see the truth yes, yeah yeah go. see the truth yeah. Um, and uh, what is it bitter frenzy that lets you use fighting arts and everything while you're you're frenzied is amazing with this. Oh yes, bit, bit to death. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, we we've teamed up with that a couple times, and you don't put it on a fast weapon. You put it on a slow weapon, like a Zombato. Um, and then we also done silly things where you take that, you tie that also with a um, Forsaker mask, and you do three attacks a turn with devastating, and you destroy most monsters on the first turn. So I think it's fair to say then the Frenzy Drink certainly has its uses. It has oh, absolutely. Uh, I noticed someone in the chat uh, was saying, you know, Mew was saying that Frenzy Drink is amazing for the Butcher. And yeah, that is to note because the uh, hit location deck gets shuffled all the time. So less likely to hit the trap card, which is the biggest concern with the Frenzy Drink is running into that trap card sooner than you would like. But yeah, uh, it's now that I've gotten to the game more and used more fighting arts and and weapon specializations, I don't use as much because it used to be my go-to with a Zombato just to get rid of slow and so I could attack faster. Um, but as I look at the Zomb- uh, as the grand, grand weapon like specialization, 
that overpowers what Frenzy gives. Yeah, and so for everyone unfamiliar, the Grand Weapon specialization is when you crit a monster, uh, it's knocked down. So if you are attacking with a Zambato first and you have decent luck and it is a deadly weapon, uh, you have the chance to knock it down and make the monster really squishy for all of your the, the rest of your team to go out and deal some really crazy damage to it. Not forgetting also cancelling those nasty reactions. I mean, knocking down a guy like the Manhunter is really big. Absolutely. I mean, the line, it's not too much of a concern just because most, as we said before, most of its uh, reactions are for uh, failure attempts. Uh, But as you get to monsters with more wound reactions and stuff like that, it can become really problematic. So it's nice to have something that can cancel out a mass amount of reactions. Well, the other thing about knockdown is then it's a three plus hit. So if your accuracy sucks, you, you can get all those hits in finally. Um, especially the people who have, you know, really sucky accuracy, but high strength and damage that all of them can finally hit and actually do a ton of damage. Yeah. So do we have anything else left to look at with the gear? I think that's everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just worth, I guess, saying against again that the cat's eye circle is the best item you can get from the white line. And yeah, and I don't have that in front of us right now, but that is just that use an action to check the first three hit locations, and it has a left blue affinity, right? Or is it a right? Left blue, yes, left blue, yeah. Um, so, it, yes, it's it's great. And we're going to sort of now look a little bit, because I think it's worth mentioning the synergies that, that these core monsters have with expansions, because one of the things you kind of want to think about is, what am I doing if I add stuff to the core game? And we'll touch heavily on it when we get to the expansion monsters themselves. But I think it's worth mentioning that the White Lion, I find, is an incredibly good fit with the Gorm. Um, the gear between the two works very well. My, one of my favorite gear combos is a is putting the Cat's Eye Circlet, the Luck Charm, and the Wisdom Potion together in a three, which gives you um, two blue affinities. It activates the, um, the Luck Charm for the bonuses to damage. And then also you've got the fact that the top of the deck is constantly revealed. So it puts less pressure on having to cat's eye circle it all the time. You just circle it when you're not happy with the top of the deck. It works great with slow weapons. That sounds really cool. We haven't actually played the Wisdom Potion yet, so that's definitely something we'll have to check out. Oh, you've got to get a Wisdom Potion, man. I, I really, that's in my top 10 items, definitely. Um, so have you found uh, any other expansions which this works well with? which combines the white line apart from the Gorm. And I think the Lion God definitely is designed to build off the, the white lion gear. Sadly, I haven't, we haven't played with the expansions too much. Like everything we've seen on stream is our play with it. And we've had the issues the first two seasons where we haven't been able to build any expansion gear because we don't farm the, the monsters enough. Um, we were always doing the monster of the week kind of thing. So I haven't had a chance to really play with it. Um, so the only really combo I do is, Rawhide circlet, uh, rawhide with the circlet just to make a support character and just keep reusing my survival and hope to get it back. That's really the only build we do. Uh, one thing I would like to touch on is we have done some combos with, uh, the clawhead arrow and the, uh, from the dragon king. I can't think of the name, the quiver, uh, which allows you to double use your arrows. Uh, that's very, very handy together. So you can give a monster two minus one accuracy tokens, which is pretty big and the then we'll be actually, yeah i'm sorry yeah thank you the evasion tokens 
And uh, another thing to note with that is we've doubled that up with the Chakram before as well. So it can get a little silly if you stagger the attacks the right way, uh, and it becomes really easy to hit the monsters. So, Josh, do you have the Chakrams there so we can go over the stats on that just to see the synergy with the um, Clawhead Arrow? I don't have it, but basically it's whenever you, on a hit, not not a wound, on a hit, the monster gets a minus one evasion token until the end of turn. That's right, this is the Dragon Chakram, isn't it? Which is speed 2, accuracy 6, strength 3, range... It's half of a bow? 3, range Yeah, it's three. a bow, it's a range throw. Yeah, so that's from the Dragon King, and the Quiver was the shielded Quiver. Yeah, I've um, I've not had much chance to use both of those, but yeah, I hadn't thought of, of how effective it's going to be to fire the um, the that <laughs> the, the that arrow twice. good thing about that arrow, too, is that it's got a strength of 6, so it hits hard. It's not like it's a... Uh... It's a light-hitting arrow. It's a hard-hitting arrow. Yeah, the other arrows from the expansions, you have the Vespertine, and then you have the uh, Dragon Bite Bolt, I believe. And both of those, if I'm not mistaken, are zero-strength arrows, so it's a huge difference there. Oh, no, the Dragon Bite Bolt is strength six, devastating one. I think you're thinking of another arrow? Possibly, and I do know that the Dragon Bite Bolt has the ability for a knockback as well, which is pretty interesting when you start combining all those things together. I didn't find that one particularly useful, but again, going back to the uh, chakrams and the lion claw or claw head arrows, if you have the person with the chakrams go first and surge and give the monster two minus accurate uh, evasion tokens, and then you have the uh, person with the claw head arrow go, and you do that for the first two turns and then continue to attack first with the chakram, the monster effectively could have minus four evasion every turn when you're attacking it. Yes, uh, sorry, I was just... uh... Just respond to something. Um, yeah, I just realized, remember, there's one other really obvious um, expansion that's combined with the uh, w- with the white line. It's not a huge mount, but it's a Slender Man, because a Slender Man's specifically designed to have um, a synergy with all of the three core monsters, because you need one component from each to um, to build a, uh, a, a an item from them. I think with the white line, it's used the lion tail to make... Um, some braces. I don't have the gear in front of me right now, though. Yeah, and I don't know Slenderman that well, so I don't know what the gear is. I've heard it's good, but I just haven't... We haven't had a chance to, to play with them that much. Yeah, I got it now. It's uh, it's the Gloom Bracelets. It's um, They're an accessory, a jewelry, fragile. It gives you six armor to your arms. When you depart, you gain two insanity. And it's like the skull, in that if you suffer a severe arm injury, the Gloom Bracelets are broken. That actually pairs with uh, cross-arm fighting art really well, because then that, that lets you move uh, a hit to the arm location. It's nice to have something combined with um, cross-arm fighting. I like that ability, but you rarely have heavy armor on your arms. I'll have to keep an eye out for that. Yeah, and you, you just mentioned that. I was like, oh, that actually, that's something that synergizes with that. Otherwise, it's kind of useless, unless you're, like, you're doing okay in your arms, you got hit everywhere else, and you need to like just use that armor. Yeah, generally when we were playing through, if we got the uh, the cross arm block, uh, that's one of the ones we got rid of as soon as we got to three fighting arts and had to pick a new one. Just because, like Josh was saying, it's not a huge usage that we get out of it, but with that uh, that item from the Slender Man you were saying, that's pretty huge because six armor is quite substantial. Since we're talking about fighting arts, and I actually don't think we have this on there, there is one secret fighting art from the White Lion. Yeah, we uh, we kind of glossed over the legendary clouds for a, a moment, and um, yeah, yeah. So it comes from where? Is it? 
let me get the AI cards up. Uh, it comes from Vanish, and yeah, the um, that is where the white line will disappear from the board. Um, you can find it in Tall Grass, uh, and then it's a duration card that sits on top of the deck. And then once it happens, somebody gets hit with four dice on a two plus. Uh, dealing two damage a hit, and then they get to do the zero present story event. I'm of the opinion, when this happens, you don't go searching for the line because zero presence is is just cool. Yeah, and what what's the secret fighting art again? Because I don't recall exactly the uh, wording off the top of my head. Just give me a moment. I have the card here. Is zero presence the one where you're uh, always in uh, blind spot? I believe so. Okay, yes, it is um, Secret Fighting Art. You gain plus one strength when attacking the monster from its blind spot, and you're always considered to be in its blind spot. Always considered in the blind spot, or only when attacking? Whenever you attack. Okay. Yeah, I didn't even know it had that plus one strength there, and uh, that's that's pretty substantial. And uh, I remember in one of our first campaigns, we did the hunt event where we found a random survivor with zero presence, and it didn't end nicely for us, because we were very excited to see that fighting art. Uh, and we didn't even get a chance to use it. Yeah, that's actually a settlement event, uh, Stranger in the Dark, that you can get someone with zero presence, and he died on the hunt event to go fight a lion or something. It was really sad. I love that event. I, it always gets a chuckle out of me when it happens, and there's just this guy in there who's like, oh, I've always been here. Didn't you guys notice? It's uh, it's fantastic, and it is the only way I've ever gotten zero presence, because when I fought the level three white lion, I've never had vanish happen. We've had it happen once, and I think he killed the one. Or you have to roll on a table for it, and we didn't get it. But yeah, zero presence is a particularly strong uh, fighting art. It's just you know a little difficult to get, uh, just because it requires level three white lion fight and that card to come up and a good roll. So it may not be the uh, the best thing to aim for. And then there's the other legendary card that we skipped over, which is Golden Eyes, which uh, is basically just a trait card. Uh, he gets plus one speed, plus two accuracy token. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's, it's plus one speed, plus two damage. But the big thing is, if you attack in the blind spot, you take three brain damage. Um, there's a way of mitigating that on the card. So, no, it's, uh, if you don't attack in the blind spot, you get three brain damage. Is it? Um, yeah. I must have. Yeah, it says when a survivor attacks the monster, they suffer three brain damage unless they yes, are in yes, the blind yes. spot. And then a survivor with 6 plus understanding may ignore the brain damage by averting their eyes. If they do, they suffer minus 4 accuracy when attacking. And then uh, if the monster is killed with this in play, up to 2 survivors may consume the eyes each game plus 1 permanent accuracy. So, well, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'd read the card the wrong way around. You're absolutely right. Um, it shows how little I fight the level 3 white line. I hope 1.5 changes that. I really do want to fight have a reason to fight um, level three monsters from the core game more often. Uh, yeah, the consume eyes for plus one accuracy is pretty great. Um, I can see myself fighting the level three white line and trying to bury this with rawhide until it's like the last card in the deck or as near to the end as possible. So I can get the benefit without being hit too hard by this. The plus two accuracy being very nice bonuses to two random or two uh, survivors that are on the hunt. Uh, especially if you bury it, as Fen was saying. Yes. So um, I actually think it's a nice idea to try and do that. I think it's going to be difficult to achieve it against level three white line because, I mean, this thing has got 21 AI cards 
and it is going to be brutalizing the heck out of you. But if the opportunity comes up and it's near the bottom half of the deck, I think you should go for it. Um, as long as you still got rawhide available and, and let's face it, just about everybody takes at least one rawhide survivor all the way through to the late game. Um, maybe things will change in 1.5, but I, I love the, I'd really like us to get a gear item that does what the rawhide headband does. Um, so we don't have to wear rawhide all the way just to get that benefit. Well, wasn't one of the updates saying that rawhide was changing for uh, one of your principles late game? Yeah, I'm a little nervous about that. I'll be really sad if I lose the headband. Yeah. So the other thing I want to mention, so we're talking about level three, is the extra benefits you get from defeating level three. So it is, uh, if the settlement has Saga, and you defeat a white uh, level three or higher white line, you roll a d10. On a result of a four plus, uh, they create a tale of the exploit. The survivor that dealt the kill and blow may either gain one plus one permanent accuracy or strength, and they get this once per lifetime. So you can actually get more plus accuracy or even a plus strength on a, on your final monster. Um, and this was also good to Beast of Sorrow because you also got level three, um, rewards for that. <laughs> so it was an easier fight and you get the same thing. But, uh, I, I think that's one thing to note is I like the little extra boost you have. If you have a certain innovation at the end of the fight, you, you get, um, so that's also another little plus for the uh, level three white line. Yeah. Um, I suppose this is, it's worth me like, as, as as you know um, from Discord, I spend a lot of time playing People of the Stars, and one of the things you need to do, or two of them, is you need to get three plus strength uh, to achieve one of the unlocks for Star Bingo, and the other one's plus one accuracy, so fighting a level three white line is a bit more beneficial in People of the Stars. On top of it, you're more powerful in People of the Stars, and generally you can handle something like this a bit better as well. So uh, this is why the people will say that you don't want to play expansions in People of the Stars, because the white line is so important to unlocking certain things. But if you play the expansions, you can always go fight a level 3 white line when you're ready. Absolutely. And uh, is there anything else that we wanted to touch on specifically on the level three white line? Because there is a very important thing that we uh, kind of glossed over for the white line fights in general. Well, I guess it would only be a level one and level two white line fight. I don't even like doing it in a level two. I, I did it once in a level two and I hated it. Um, but I don't think there's anything left to say on the level three white line, except I look forward to seeing what Poots is going to do uh, with it in 1.5. The idea I got from him on his, uh, I think in one of his comments, I think a level two is going to get plus one basic, plus one monster resource, and then a level three is going to get plus two, plus two for resources, was what it looks like. So you're going to get 16 resources from a level three, plus the the uh, claw, so 17 total, which is a, a lot of resources. <laughs> But on top of that, you're also saying that a level two is going to get some more resources as well. Yeah. So you'll get um, seven plus five, 12 resources instead of the current 10. Which that makes a pretty big deal, especially if you wind up having some of the hunt events happen beforehand, like the lion cub where you can get uh, four additional resources so you could really come back with a crazy amount of resources even from just a level two white lion and those are significantly more farmable than a level three yeah i was just thinking with the luck um modifier that the um level three has and all those bonuses i I was thinking i'd probably still farm level twos um i don't think i'd go near a level three unless i was looking to do the saga trigger result um 
I just I, I think I hope the um that the was it the elder was it Cat Fang? What's it called? I can't remember its name. The Cat Fang knife. knife. Yeah, I, I hope that that gets looked at and tweaked a bit as well. But uh, well, because what I love about some of the other level three monsters um, in the expansions is they're absolutely worth going after. Like the Sunstalker, the stuff you get from the level three there is amazing. The um, the stuff you get from the level three Gorm is uh, the you basically that's how you build the regeneration suit. It's again, it's worth the effort. I'd like to see the Cat Fang knife be worth the effort. What is the uh, weapon proficiency for dagger? Good question. Um, I have it here. Yeah, we haven't played too much with the daggers, so uh, we're not too familiar with the specializations or the mastery with that, just because it was kind of a quick experiment for us, and then we moved away from it relatively fast. Yeah, it's kind of, I think, my least favorite weapon efficiency. Okay, so the specialization is when attacking with a dagger, if a wound attempt fails after performing any reactions, you may discard another drawn hit location to attempt to wound that hit location again. Limit once per attack. I can see some uses for that, but I'm not exactly thrilled. Um, the mastery is after wo- a wounded hit location is discarded, a dagger master who is adjacent to the attacker and the wounded monster may spend one survival to redraw the wounded hit location and attempt to wound with the dagger. Treat monster reactions on the redrawn hit location card normally. So you can have a second stab at an exciting location that's got a good result from it. Um, but I... Th- I think daggers don't crit very much, do they? Yeah, there's no, at least not on the cat vein. I'm, I'm just saying if that had any synergy with it, but I, I don't think any of the daggers are really deadly or anything. There's nothing that really helped with that. They're more fast and low damage with good accuracy. Yeah, they're not really backstabbing kind of weapons. The katars kind of take that position, and um, and my very favoritest weapon in the entire game, the denticle axe, is like that's what a I think a dagger in this game should be, but um, yeah, again, I mean, hopefully we see something that happens to daggers because at the moment, the only daggers I like are the nuclear one from the Dragon King and I really rate the acid tooth daggers from the Gorm. And I'd like to see, because the White Lion um, armor actually triggers off daggers, so I'd like to see some more dagger builds happening. And uh, we got a question from chat. Uh, couldn't you use it to avoid bad hit locations, though? That 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 is one cool thing you could do with it. So you can try to rehit a location and discard a a really bad reaction card. Yeah, that is a good point, and it just shows how little I've used daggers. I mean, they are on the list of things I want to get round to trying to do stuff with, um, but whips are higher than that on the list. And, you know, I can only do so much because there's so many of the weapon specializations that are really important, um, like, of course, Fist and Earth Shield, um, great weapons. Um, I've only just managed Guitar Mastery for the first time in my solo play. So I'll tell you what, the next time I play People of the Sun, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push for doing daggers. Going on to the uh, weapon specializations again real quick, the... Uh bow weapon specialization i really love just the ability to re-roll your misses because that's i feel more beneficial than just plus accuracy because if you're trying to cycle through cards you can choose not to re-roll stuff uh so you could purposely try for one hit versus going for the full two hits or something to that effect yeah that's a good point um i i hadn't really thought about using it that way uh to sort of slow down your bow um Partly because I think you know what bow I'm um, I'm using a lot, and it doesn't roll many dice. 
but uh the mastery I, I love the mastery i just last week hit the mastery um in my solo people of the stars and oh my god deadly 2 oh that is oh, it's so good it's deadly 2 is amazing we had one person lined up who happened to get two natural luck and we were using cat eye bow so it, it, i mean it's not as much but you get the deadly 2 on top of the cat eye bow because this was base game but we were going to make the uh, death mask for them which is plus four luck. So that's like eight luck there. So so they critted on a two plus. Which, which is, is absolutely silly. absolutely game breaking and unfortunately we were a- unable to get it done. We wound up dying right before that happened. So I'm a little upset about that. But uh pairing the Vespertine bow and the Vespertine uh, arrow with that build, I know you don't get the, the specializations and such on the arrow but being able to re-roll if you do a sniper bow with the vespertine bow the aim feature is very handy too especially since you are only rolling one die so if you miss it could be pretty painful to happen and matt you just brought up something uh so the new what do you guys think of the new changes for the bow in 1.5 for the the cat gut bow because it now has that aim feature on it where you get plus two accuracy but you roll one less die I like it. Um, it's one of the things I liked about the Vespertine bow is rolling less dice for more accuracy. Honestly, I kind of don't feel it needed it. I'm really happy with the, the cat, um, cat gut bow as it stands, but I, I'm not going to say no. Um, it, it definitely falls off quickly compared to, well, when you hit Lantern year five, um, if you play with expansions, we all know where you're going. Uh, it's time to go visit the Flower Knight. But it'd be nice if you're just playing core to have that bow last long enough so you can get the arc bow from the Phoenix um, and remain relevant. Uh, one thing to note about the bow is aiming does give you the uh, the plus range as well, correct? No. Or is it just the no, accuracy? Just the accuracy. Okay, so that's just the, uh, the Vesper team that I was thinking of then. Yeah, that's the snipe functionality. I, I would have liked if they were going to up the bow a little bit if they did the snipe thing where it's plus two accuracy, plus two range, it would have been a little bit nicer, but um, just because you still have a better chance to hit technically with rolling two dice and one die. So unless you have some plus speed, it doesn't help that much. Uh, the one thing that I do like to do with the increased range of the Vespertine bow, and I know that uh, Fen's been getting on this too, is triggering traps from beyond the monster's reach. And that's a pretty big thing. So if you had the plus, say, one or two additional range on the cat gut bow, uh, that would make a pretty significant uh, improvement, especially if you have the cat eye circlet to look through and see where the hit, the uh, trap card is. And then we had a question from chat. If you can stack the accuracy with aiming in front of the uh, giant stone face, yes, you can. So the giant stone face is one of my favorite terrains with having a ranged weapon in the game. Absolutely. If you have the giant stone face uh, on the field with the bow, it's fantastic. And just to touch on the fighting arts, if you have strategist with a bow guy, it's pretty awesome. Yep. And you're quite likely to get strategist from um, protect young. So (laughs) yeah, I'm sure we've all experienced archers sat on top of faces a lot. All right. So I think we should go into, uh, one of the last topics I think we're, I'm not sure if it's the last topic, but, uh, having the fun of, uh, gaming the white line that they didn't even notice before after it was released, um, the understanding hack. Oh, yes. Uh, so Matt, do you want to tell us all about this? Sure thing. Uh, we've got a couple of hit locations in the, 
uh, Lions Hit Location deck. Josh, if you could pull those out for me, I don't remember exactly what they are. Uh, but they specifically target the monster's hand. And if you crit those locations, you effectively chop the hand off. Uh, this is a pretty big deal because it is a uh, persistent injury, so it stays in play and affects some AI cards. The uh, the main significance of that, though, is that some of the AI cards uh, that use that, uh, essentially the line goes to attack you, realizes it doesn't have a hand, and then stares at it. And that's the end of his turn. So he doesn't attack anyone, and all adjacent survivors gain plus one understanding. Uh, so do you guys want to talk about how that stacks up and how you could really game the system with that? Absolutely. I'll um, I'll talk about it because we managed to do this. Uh, I play Thursday nights with my friends, and we did this in Lantern Year 2 um, against White Lion. Uh, we're talking six players as well playing. Um, so you've locked the hand off, and there are th- um, three location, uh, three AI cards in the deck, which I mentioned earlier in the podcast, that uh, go on and um, that they trigger off the uh, the strange hand. So if the hand is missing, they they do as you described. The white line looks at his hand. Now, if the white line doesn't also should say where its hand used to be if the white line doesn't have anything else in its deck it's going to um make a sad sad noise and and just not do anything and, and essentially that ai card gets discarded and then redrawn and discarded and redrawn over and over and the line just sits there crying over its lost hand um i mean i really think maybe it should be more upset that its testicles are missing but you know whatever uh and then everybody gathers up around it and gains one understanding each time it does this so essentially you just go let's surround the white line everyone max out understanding do your roles for having gained understanding gain all your stats um and as chat said uh yeah poot says it's as intended and i don't think he planned it but no uh, it wasn't planned because then it told us that they never actually did this in their playtesting and then once the game came out it happened like all right that's cool that, that, we'll leave it that way. That's that, that's fine with us. So, a cool little side note from knowing the development. It wasn't built in to do that necessarily, but it was one of those little happy little things that did happen. And so, yeah, we're fine with that. We're going to keep that in there. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, exactly. And um, in compensation, we also get the butcher infinite kick loop, which I will really enjoy talking about when we get to the butcher. Um, yeah, so you max out your understanding and you get your, to make your rolls and you potentially can get ageless. Um, in the case of People of the Stars, uh, then one understa- nine plus understanding is one of the triggers for bingo. It's the top left corner, uh, and it's the trigger to get you witch, um, or I think it's absolute. It's not absolute. I forget the other one. But anyway, um, it's it's fantastic, uh, and then of course there's in People of the Lantern where you go and take your saviors and do this, especially if you're romantic. I think you have a forty percent chance, uh, and I, I know you guys did it on stream, didn't you? You um you got yourself some ageless survivors for a while. Yeah, we had like a team of three, uh, two ageless saviors, and I think we had a third one that I think we got two out of four with a twenty percent chance, which was nice. Um. But yeah, it's a nice little thing. Sadly, that's not going to work in the new update. Um, the, uh, saviors look like they're not going to get uh, ageless anymore. But uh, um, that's the one thing about it. But it, it is nice, um, and I don't even care if it's not a savior. It's you can. My favorite part about ageless is you can start stacking weapon masteries on people if they live long enough, and you can do some weird, crazy things with that. So I believe that on one of the builds we had, uh, Josh was playing as a green savior, 
that was all decked out in leather armor and with the shield. Got the shield mastery. I believe got the club mastery and the fist and tooth mastery. It wasn't a green savior. It was just a normal survivor. But it had shield, it had fist and tooth, and it was working on spear. Right. And on top of that, that was in a campaign where we got the uh, Clinging Mist event twice, so we kept resetting with them. And playing the uh, the Kingsman with that and just having a godly tank and being able to possibly get those plus stats make it even more ridiculous at the end. You mean the hand? Yes, thank you. I always get those two mixed up. How can you get them mixed up? The hand is a wonderful, generous benefactor, whereas Kingsman is a fucking bastard. That's putting it lightly with the coup de grace and everything as well. I love the Kingsman. I really do. But, um, uh, you know, yeah, sometimes he can be very frustrating. Um, So, yeah, anyway, understanding abuse. If you've not done it before, do it. If you're not sure how to do it, get yourself a um, cat's eye circlet so you can dig through the hit location deck and get the strange hand. Have yourself a, um, a Qatar fighter with a luck charm holding the uh, circlet or something else with full rawhide so you get the 70 uh, the 7 plus crit 8 plus sorry 8 plus crit 8 9 10 no 7 plus <laughs> 8, 8 plus 8 plus it is sorry um and then also have rawhide headbands manipulate the deck and get them sorted um, uh, other other note is you can also on. use the uh, fountain stone if you have it just for that Oh, uh, yes, the fact, yes, yes. <laughs> you know, I actually have written in my notes for playing People of the Stars, try not to use up all your founding stones because you want to use them against the White Lion to chop off the hand. Yeah, auto crit against uh, the White Lion for the Strange Hand is pretty important for that strategy. Yeah, yeah, it's, I think that's maybe the best thing, best use for your founding stones, actually, uh, is to cut the Strange Hand off, just like you do in the prologue fight. One thing I would like to touch on is the uh, the white secret event that happens when you max out your understanding. Um, you have the the romantic one where you uh, you get the ageless. You have the centralized one where you get quixotic and something else. And I'm just going off of memory. And then you have the story of the invisible hair, I believe, where it gives you plus armor if you're not wearing armor. Uh, how do you guys feel about that one? The third one, the evasion one. That is correct. Yeah, evasion. Plus three evasion with, if you're not wearing armor. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, I would prefer ageless because I like having survivors. You can hang around for a long time. But my goodness, when you stack evasion, I don't think there are many monsters that deal well with high evasion characters. We literally um, we, we're fighting level threes and they were only hitting um, Jim's character on a ten. It had to be a natural 10. So I, I love it. I think it's great. Uh, so what items were you stacking on there to get those uh, extra evasions to, to make them a little bit more dodgy? Uh, he had a natural plus two evasion anyway from leveling up. Uh, he had Monster Grease fully activated. Uh, that's one, two, three, four, five, six. I think that's it, actually. Uh, there may be one more item as well. But um, also... Uh, we stuck on um, he wore dragon vestments because they give you one armor and they're not armor and he wore the plates from the dung beetle knight to give him more armor but they don't count as armor either I forgot about those completely uh, also there, correct me if I'm wrong there's a fighting art 
uh, where if something to do with your attacks, you get plus evasion tokens, and then if you get hit, they go away. Something to that effect. Um. Yeah, I think there is. I think Qatar Mastery might actually have give you evasion tokens as well. Yeah, uh, it's called Rhythm Chaser. I think it's on your first successful hit, you get uh, evasion token or something like that. I, I don't remember the exact text on the card. So yeah, if you have a Rhythm Chaser and you run into the fight early with Surge and you get a couple hits on the white line and get some evasion tokens with all of that base evasion, yeah, I could see that getting really ridiculous where you need a Lantern 10 to hit the survivor at all. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Qatar Mastery does the same thing. Plus one evasion token on a perfect hit with the Qatar. When you get knocked down, you have to remove all the evasion tokens. So um, uh, Jim's not a Qatar master. He's a spear specialist. But uh, yeah, if you could have... Um, what story is it called? I can't remember. But anyway, the, this, the evasion um, there, and you can stack Qatar Mastery onto that. You can grab uh, extra evasion from Monster Grease and, and a bit of extra armor from other stuff. Um, and yeah, you could just literally have a, I guess, an evasion tank. Yeah, and then uh, someone pointed up, uh, I believe it's, what is it, Blood Earrings? Does that give you plus two strength, plus two, is that evasion or accuracy? But you can only wear bone gear, so it's something else you can kind of tank on top of that, which makes it interesting, since there's not really much bone armor. That would be interesting if there was more uh, bone armor uh, options as well. Yeah, you kind of need to move to expansions to get some of the extra bone armor stuff. Okay, so is there anything else that we specifically wanted to touch on for this uh, this white lion discussion? I think I've pretty much said everything I I, um, I have to say about it. Um, I mean, I may have forgot one or two things, but should we, th- um, uh, Matt, Josh? Is there anything that you have to say, or should we throw it open to chat to see if they have any more questions? Uh, yeah, chat, please go ahead and shout any questions out you have for us. Uh, we'll give you a shout out and see if we could answer to the best of our abilities, how we'd handle the strategy, the situation, all that fun things. Uh, but in the meantime, please follow us. I see TGN Panda is posting the links here. Uh, join us in our Discord chat. We have a Kingdom Death channel that we're on all the time, and it's constant strategy discussion and lore discussion, stuff like that. So if you can't get enough, you can go there for more. Um, one thing I did want to mention is we're not really we weren't planning on talking about it. Just I just wanted to mention the other legendary uh, white line, which is the Great Golden Cat. But that will be a future more discussion. But that there is a legendary out there for besides the Beast of Sorrow that is actually a little bit more powerful. Uh, yeah. So Lion has alert and ground fighting, and your range person has died. Who do you sacrifice? Uh, my vote is for the survivor owned by the person who you like least at the table. I have a feeling that uh, chat's going to be voting for me to run up and be the sacrificial lamb if that ever happens to us. But then again, I usually play as the range guy, so double-edged sword there. I mean, alert's not horrible. Alert's just if you if you move within it, he's going to just run up to you and do a basic attack, and then that that's it. It's not that much to it. So you can possibly line yourself up to uh, kind of counteract that, but it, it would take a little bit more strategy to do that. Uh, so Corin Avitan uh, asked us one thing we would remove or change about uh, the White Lion. Uh, what would we shake up with that? Josh, do you want to go first? I need to think for a second for this one. All right. Um, Matt, do you have anything? Otherwise, I'll go. Uh, why don't you take it away first, Fen? All right. Um, I would like to actually see uh, one one rule about the White Lion. Um, oh, actually, what I'd really like to see is a no- new alternate um, AI deck for the White Line. 
Um, so it acts in a different way. But if I was just going to change one thing about it, I think I would like its um, its claw attacks to be a bit more interesting than they are. Um, so specifically the two cards, claw, that just duplicate the base action. Uh, I think I'd like them to inflict bleed, to be honest. Yeah, I was uh, surprised about that as well, the uh, the lack of bleed that the line dishes out. And I guess that's all part of the point of it being kind of the intro monster, the early on quarry. Uh, so they didn't want to make it too horrific, but I think that would be a little bit more inclusive lore-wise. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that would be it would be interesting, but as it's a beginner beginner set, that's good. Um, overall, I think the white line is just really well built. Um, the basic gear for everything you get from it is pretty good. Um, it has one impervious location to teach you how impervious works. It has some good persistent injuries, and everything kind of it teaches you the game really well um, and teaches you the basics of the game. So I really like that about the white line. Um, the, the only thing is after a while it does get, since it is the easiest thing to fight. And if you go after general resources, instead of trying to build specific things, it's a lot better just to farm the white lion than to, uh, go out of your comfort zone, which gets a little boring. I think you've pretty much, um, it's all right. I said, I was going to say about the white line. I think it's amazingly designed. Um, it's, it, it, I think it was the first creature designed. It feels like it was, and I'm always impressed when I fight it in how much this character comes across. And I love that this is a starting monster that you fight in the first um, in the prologue in the first Lantern Year, and there's still gear that remains relevant all the way through the entire game. In fact, to the point that sometimes I'll go back and I'll fight the lion four or five times, desperately trying to get the organs I I want for the circlet and the the harp. So it's, yeah, I mean, I mean, well, well done, well done, Mister Poots, because this white lion is just, I think it's it's brilliant design. Yeah, it serves as a fantastic introductory monster to the game, just because I know we touched on that it's got a little bit of uh, predictability to it with the AI and hit locations, but I think that's kind of the point as well because this is how you're learning the game. This is how you get thrown into the fire and uh, it teaches you how to react for future monsters. So another question from chat, uh, Vasha saying, given the extent background canon of the white lion, would you like to see the story around the white lion expanded to, to include uh, the legendaries? What's your thoughts on that fan? Um, I, yeah, I was just, just thinking like, I, I'm kind of really happy with where the lore is on the white line as it stands. It's sort of, it hints at a lot of things going on and, and maybe more happening than actually is. And then there's the, um, I think it's in the Holy Lands where they revere the White Lions. Am I right? Oh, you got me on that one. I'm not too in-depth on the lore on it. Yeah. I, I think it is. I, I know that the there's a mention that Manhunters sometimes t- tame White Lions. And if you look at his pistol, he's got a little um, uh, White Lion on the hilt of it. What do we call it? The Pommel. It's Pommel? Whatever. <laughs> you know, the very, um, I, I really don't know enough about locations of guns, but you know, the very, the, the bottom of the handle has, um, a line face on it. Um, and I, 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 I feel like I'm happy in the state where it is, and I like the hints that the Lion God gives about, um, maybe some kind of civilization and everything. So, uh, I think, 
and I'd probably talk about when we get to legendaries. I would like to see a bit more lore fluff when you fight the legendaries. I'd like them to have their own showdown page with more details. So I'm happy with everything as it stands, but yeah, maybe maybe the uh, the two legendaries could be more interesting. Matt, anything from you? Um, nothing in particular there. I think uh, Ven touched on a lot of that pretty well. All right, so let's go to the next question. I, I, ben got everything that I would say. Um, Muse asking, how would you feel about a random hunt event that turns the thing you were after into a soft legendary with legendary AI and hit location cards? And when I think about this, the first thing that comes up is the, the – we didn't talk about it because it's with the antelope. But there is a hunt event that actually makes you fight a stronger white lion. And that's one of the risks with fighting the antelope. Um, and I kind of like that. And at the same time, that, that can be really scary. And that's how we've actually, I think, fought a level three before was we were going after a level two antelope. It's like, oh, no, you're going to fight a level three lion. And it's a very interesting mechanic. Uh, Matt, your thoughts? Yeah, that definitely screws up your setup when that happens in the antelope hunt. Uh, but I see where they're coming from with uh, the additional different AI and hit location cards. It would be interesting to have the fight basically shake up midway through by adding in cards that you weren't expecting to be there. Um, the other mechanic there is just, you know, the plus strength and plus speed, but that gets taken care of with certain uh, crit locations like chopping the nuts off or something like that. Ben, you have anything else to add? Um, I'm somebody who I prefer to have as much control as I can in the game. So, uh, uh um, I, it's an interesting concept. Um, I wouldn't really want to have the level one triggering to become some kind of soft legendary because that could be a bit kind of a bit much, especially if it happens early on. Uh, but yeah, it's a nice idea. It certainly wouldn't mind seeing something like that as a, a promo card or maybe introduced with an additional expansion pack into the white line. I've, I do feel like the hunt events, it'd be nice to see a bit more variety in them. Um, a few more extra hunt cards. So I'm not totally against the idea, but I could see myself swearing a bit when it did happen. Yeah. So, and that was one of the things that came up when, when Poots gave us three uh, ideas. There was more hunt events and stuff like that. So, um, so let's go to the next question. Charles is asking, when you restart a campaign, should you always fight the prologue line? Um, there is rules to skip it, but I always feel there's so much more benefit from actually doing it. And if you skip it, you, you gimp yourself in the campaign. That That's my feeling. Fen, what do you think? I would never skip it. As I said, I will fist and tooth the um, prologue white line over and over um, and uh, try and milk as many resources as I can. There's the lowest kind of um, risk involved in the prologue fight, because if you get wiped, apart from the fact that you should feel a bit embarrassed, but it happens to everyone, um, is that you're just restarting one fight and it's not a big issue. I've also looked at the um, the quick start rules and you kind of get punished for using them. It's nowhere near uh, as good a set of resources as you get from fighting the prologue lion. So personally, always fight it, always fist and tooth it. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with that. I mean, it also serves as a tune-up fight. So, you know, just to make sure that you know exactly what's going on when you restart the game. It's not terribly difficult, but just to get you back in the mind frame of, okay, this is where we are right now. We don't have all of these crazy stats. Let's not go too crazy. Absolutely, yes. And Chad's asking if we watched the uh, Shut Up and Sit Down review of Kingdom Death. I have not watched it yet. 
Uh, I did see it was posted, but I haven't had a chance to actually go through it. I know Matt hasn't. Uh, Fen, have you? Yeah, I, I sat through and watched it. It's um, I I agreed with pretty much everything he had to say. Um, I obviously enjoyed the game, enjoy the game more than than Paul does. I think it's Paul's giving the review. Um, and many of the points he brings up about the weaknesses and issues with the game, yeah, I think it's fair. It, it, sometimes Kingdom Death can feel a little bloated and complex. Uh, but um, it, it was it's strange because he concluded by saying he wouldn't recommend it to most people, uh, that he didn't feel it was a great game, but that he wanted to go back and play it some more. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, I, I liked the review. I thought it was very fair um, and enjoyable and well presented. So, uh, but also I don't think I'm, I mean, seeing as I enjoy playing Kingdom Death a lot anyway, I'm not really the right target market for it. Um, and then uh, one of my things just about the reviews, especially with a game this big, is you really need to to play a good chunk of it to understand everything that's in it. And if you play just the prologue in the first year fight, you don't you don't get to see all the strategy and understanding and how everything works together, and and what makes the game great, um, because you, you don't see all of that. You, you just see this. It's kind of a lucky mechanic. You got to roll well to do well, and you don't get that sense of strategy and everything else in it. Absolutely yes. Uh, so, do we have any more questions? Uh, not, I didn't see any other real questions about the white line. There's a couple other little questions that we could discuss off stream on Discord or something, just general chit chat stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then, I guess we can just uh, pretty much uh, wrap this up. Um, as I said, well, I, I love the white line. I think it's a fantastic piece of design. Um, I'm really happy with it being the starting monster. I think it sits in a good place. And if we can, if depending on what happens with the level two and the level three, which is sounding promising, then uh, I, you know I, I look forward to facing the white line for years to come, and you know collecting a, a large amount of line testicles along the way. Yeah, let's let's uh, get to chugging those frenzy drinks. Yeah, uh, the, the white line is is a personal favorite. Um, it can get a little tiresome at some point, but. Uh, the new expansions help deal with that issue, but uh, I really enjoy it, and uh, it's something I'll always still fight. Absolutely. So, uh, what are we? Do we want to do a teaser for next podcast, and when do we expect to be doing that? So, the next podcast we were talking about doing the screaming antelope. So, I think what we and Fen have been talking about have kind of doing each monster as they come up on the timeline. Um, so we're going to do the base game first, and then we will go into expansions afterwards. Um, so I think next week, uh, not ne- next podcast will be the Screaming Antelope. And then I think we're looking at doing it every other week. So looking at the 30th, if we're all free. Um, I know I'm free. I haven't checked with Matt yet to see if he's free, but. <laughs> um, I'm that, game. That, that was the idea. Uh, so about every other week, we would go step through things and maybe start doing a couple uh uh, we might stop partially through and start talking about gear sets and builds and stuff once we actually talk about enough creatures and stuff like that. So, so yeah, please join us in the future for that. We're going to also work on possibly getting some special guests in here. Uh, you know, we have some game devs that we talk to on a regular basis, so maybe one of us will be one of them will be nice enough to join us for a session uh, just to give us their uh, 
ideas and viewpoints on the different monsters as well. Um, to talk on that, we, I, uh, Zenith or Zachary Barish has already confirmed if we're doing it the 30th, he's put it on his calendar to talk with us. Um, and he wanted to talk with us today too, but he was, uh, he was busy today. So he, uh, he was unable to join us, but he, he is very interested in, in chit chatting with us and, and during the podcast to talk about some of this stuff. So this is a good segue for uh, just if you guys want a confirmation of when the stream will be happening, please follow us on Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and chat with us in Discord. The uh, Kingdom Death conversation is going on pretty much 24-7 there. We've got a great international audience, so come check us out there. And more importantly, let's talk about our upcoming streams on our Twitch channel in general. Uh, Sunday, we're actually really excited to be doing a special edition broadcast. We're going to be presenting some virtual reality gaming. Uh, Soul Keeper from Helm Systems is going to be there uh, demonstrating the game. We're going to be playing it along and uh, talking about it with chat and going over some questions with them. And we're also going to be joined by a streamer, Duopoly. So if someone could link him over, you guys could go check out his page and uh, I'm giving him a shout out because he will be joining us as well. Uh, Monday, we're doing a spotlight stream. Josh, what is our spotlight stream for this upcoming Monday? We're going to be playing Adrenaline by CGE Games and we're going to be we're gonna have another josh on stream uh, i can't remember his last name i'm sorry josh but uh josh is the uh regional sales manager for the united states or north america for cge games he's actually the only em- cge employee in the states uh but he's gonna skype in and and show us the game and play hopefully play with us i haven't even looked at the game yet so we'll see how that's gonna work um so that will be happening that's- Monday. Josh Giddens, as they're pointing out to me in chat. And just uh, so you guys know, our Spotlight Sessions is where we like to take games that are just coming out, currently on Kickstarter, finishing up Kickstarter, uh, newer games that we want to get more attention to. And we like to feature them on our stream, show them off, try to have the game devs, uh, creators, people associated with the game there to chit-chat with us and take questions and play along with us. And so we're really excited to be doing that on Monday. That's 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then join us on Tuesday for our continuation of Twilight's Kingdom Death. Uh, that's also at 8 p.m. And what Lantern Year are we going into, Josh? We're going to be uh, going to Lantern Year 7. We started it at the end of the last stream. But, uh, yeah, we're going to Year 7. We just unlocked the Phoenix. So it'll be interesting what we plan on doing. I haven't really given it much thought yet. So, um, But that will be happening on Tuesday. And then join us for our final stream of the week, our continuation of Twitch Plays Kingdom Death on Thursday. That's also at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, that's just going to be going and starting off where we left off on the previous uh, campaign on Tuesday. Uh, Is there anything else that you guys wanted to touch base on before we did our sign-off here? No, I think I'm all good. Yeah. Uh, Thank you very much, everyone, for listening and uh, putting up with my terrible ramblings. Thank you, Fen, for joining us. It's you had a lot of lot of fun talking with you. Absolutely, it's been a pleasure. You brought some really awesome insight and statistics, importantly, to the discussion. Uh, so we look forward to doing this with you guys again. And uh, chat, please stay tuned for the next one uh, of Great Game Hunters, uh, where we try to talk in depth strategy for Kingdom Death. Uh, this has been another TGN presentation, and we're signing off. So good evening, everyone. I'm Matt. I'm Josh. And I'm Finn. So good night, everyone, and join us again soon. Good night. Bye.